Hello, hello, hello. Welcome along to Benchcast. I'm your host, Neville Dunhoo. Today I'm going to be talking to former Munster and Irish scrum half, Peter Stringer. He's going to be looking back in the Pro 14 final, looking ahead to Europe next week, and looking back in his career with Munster and Ireland. This show is thanks to McCarthy's Interiors. They're based in Douglas Court and Bannon College Shopping Centre. Make sure to check them out on Facebook and Instagram for more great offers. Peter, how are you? Very well, thank you. Good to be on. I suppose there's only one place to start, Peter. Um, we'll start with the Munster match on Saturday. Very disappointing. Very disappointing result. Um, like talk to us. Like, like in my opinion, if it was a boxing match, the town would have been thrown in. I think if Leinster were way more clinical. They could have put a big score up in Munster. How are Munster, like I know Leinster are a good side, but how are Munster so off the pace? Yeah, look, I was at it, you know, I was lucky enough to be one of the few at the game. And I suppose going into it, you had a perception that, you know, that gap was closing between the two sides. Um, going by a lot of performances by Munster throughout the year, I thought, you know, they'd done really well and they had a real opportunity to, to put it up to Leinster. But like you said, if Leinster had been far more clinical, I think the scoreline, you know, would have been a lot, lot bigger. Um, I think Munster being a half time six all were in a good position, even though they hadn't played, they hadn't shown anything, they hadn't fired a shot, uh, and Leinster just have that capability to to up the tempo, to increase it to a new level whenever they need to. I've seen it throughout the year. I've, I've been at most games, um, and you can see it when they need to go another step. They can do it. Um, and Munster, yeah, look, it's it's very disheartening because I'm a proud Munster man and I want to see them do well. And it's been it's been a long time. And I, I genuinely felt that this season, the way the coaches have got the structure right in terms of blooding a lot of new new guys, um, giving guys an opportunity when the internationals have been away. Um, they've rotated, they've used 53 players in the league this year. But for whatever reason, you get to Saturday in a final um, and you just didn't see that fight in them, and it's something. It's 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 very very disappointing, and I, and I feel for them, you know. Well, like you were part of great monster sides, and you had big wins and you had big losses, but even when you lost, you went down with a fight, you know. Like monster, they just didn't even swing a punch on Saturday. That's it, and 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 I said beforehand, if if monster could get the execution right. You always feel that with a Munster side, in a final with so much at stake, that the emotion levels are going to be there. They're going to be right up there. Um, and we didn't see it. We didn't see it from from really from this, this, the kickoff. I think, yes, some some moments in defence, some big hits. Jean Klein made a few, few big hits. Gavin Coombs made a few carries. But other than that, you didn't really see that fire, that kind of ruthless... Um, ability at the breakdown, attacking Leinster, putting them under pressure. Um, because you look back at games that Leinster would have lost, two games they lost in the year already. They lost to Connacht and they lost to Ospreys. Both sides took it to them physically and, and dominated them. And that's what you had to do against Leinster because they're a big physical pack. Um, but we didn't see it. You thought that at least, you know, you'd get that emotional side from Munster. And then it was, they needed the execution. They needed the game plan on top of it. But we we didn't it didn't get either, and, and that was the frustrating part. And it's not getting any easier because we got Toulouse uh, on Saturday in Torman Park. Like, what are your predictions for that? Oh, it's going to be tough. And I think whatever with the game, I 
to buzz in isolation on its own, Munster v Toulouse. When you have it on the back of such a demoralising defeat to, to Leinster, um, I think mentally what this game, you know, the effects that it will have on a lot of these guys, you know, will be huge. You hear Van Grant talking about it in the media this week in terms of their meeting on a Monday morning was talking about belief. And, and, and you can see the body language from guys after the game the last day. They were broken. Um, down and you know when you've lost to Leinster you know six times in a row you know I know as your biggest rivals that has got to take its toll and going into a big European week whereas this should be a game that you're you're so up for you're you're kind of hitting your straps and top of your game and you know welcoming the best side in the French league over to your home patch you know you should be in good form and it's I just hope they can turn things around it's going to be really tight because it's 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 going to be difficult first to part that Leinster game and then also to change your mindset to a European game. And given how, how well Toulouse are playing, it's going to be very, very tough. Um, and it's just, it's interesting to hear that a lot of guys had, you know, had to be picked up and the talk of belief during the week, um, you know, as a Munster side, you know, you want to be full of confidence uh, on the back of a final going into Europe. And um, yeah, you'd be a little bit worried, certainly, on the back of what these French players can do. I did like, I was listening to Don Lennon last week and he said that there was no tomorrow, that they had to put everything into uh, last Saturday. And say, for instance, they did the bad loss in the Pro 14 final to Leinster and they lose to Toulouse. And then they have a few weeks off and they were into the Rainbow Cup. Where, what, what would you look at to improve Munster like? Like what I like about talking to you, I suppose, Peter, is that you're you're gone from the game. You're you're outside of the circle now. So I suppose I hope you might be able to comment more freely. But like Van Graham is is he up to it? Like like to be very honest, if Joe Smith was coaching Munster, do you think it would have been a closer game on Saturday? Like do questions have to be asked to the coaching setup? Oh, look, it's hard to know if you put a different coach in there and ultimately as a player, you take responsibility and the players will put their hands up and, you know, you use whatever internal motivation to get you up for a game. And, and if guys aren't at that level, um, you know, you, you look at coaches, you look at players. Um, and certainly, look, I think I think the end of last season, certainly there were question marks maybe around Johan in terms of, you know, the type of game plan. Um, you know, yes, Munster were predominantly a forward dominant side and we would always have got a good platform from our forwards and then being able to release the backs and times have changed you know you're looking at teams nowadays across Europe and they're so physical and 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 I just take it a step back in terms of you look at it the last kind of 10 years from a Munster point of view they've lost in five five pro 14 semi-finals and three finals and you you go to any other team and they would snap your hand yeah. off for 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 um, a ten-year period like that, and but, that's, but, in Europe. Is in- but that's the thing, Peter. Like, like we got such high excellence at Munster. That Munster team's always going to be compared to the team that you were on, and it's always going to be compared to Leinster. So, like, I, I get your point, though. It's, it's a fair point. No, absolutely, and and you're going to be, and, and that's it. You know, the the players will feel the pressure themselves because the standards that Munster, as an organization, have set themselves. Absolutely, you know the way the last ten years have gone. Players themselves put their hands up. It's it's not acceptable. Um, coaches, and I think the way, I think certainly with Larkin coming in, Graham Roundtree coming in last year, I think I've seen, I've seen certainly a change in style of play, which Munster had to get away from the physical one-off runners, which was very much, 
South African mentality and it wasn't working for Munster. We weren't getting past the teams like Rassing, Saracens, Leinster, and they had to change something. Um, they've, they've brought in, I've seen glimpses of, of a different style of play um, during the season, but again, it comes to these big games and you got to have question marks in and around, you know, coaches, players, everything within the organisation, how you can make things better. So look, yeah, look, everyone's under pressure. The, the players are under pressure from the last day. I think Johan certainly would be feeling an element of pressure and the coaches to try and to try and get a, an identity of this where this team is and the style they want to play. And the last question I ask you about Munster, and then we'll talk about your own career, is that um, one of the things I was very disappointed. I've been kind of disappointed with Munster as a whole. We're very slow to bring through young players, you know. Like Tomas Hearn got man the match the week before, and he wasn't even on the bench, you know. Craig Casey, he he looks like a serious talent. He only got on for the last five or ten minutes, and then you look at Leinster. Ryan Bird was in the Irish camp, you know. He was he, he was came on for Leinster was superb, you know. Why aren't we just throwing these players in there. You know, like even I think against Toulouse, like I think, nearly think we should look at getting these lads on the bench and give them more game time because let's be honest, we have nothing to lose on Saturday. No, it's it's a good point. It's a good point. And talking about Saturday, you know, it, it could it could well be an option because of the way guys mentally are after Leinster. You know, I remember as a 19, 20-year-old coming into the Munster setup and all you wanted to do was play. You had this energy about you. You didn't have that baggage. And you, you mentioned these guys. Thomas Ahern has been immense anytime he's got an opportunity John Hodnett Gavin Coombs Craig Casey um, all of these guys Shane Daly was unlucky not to get in the last day I thought you know I thought he'd been going well um, so yeah look I think there's a, there's certainly a case where you know Leinster have thrown these guys in and in being able to play with experienced guys um, yeah look I, I, I'd back it you know I'd back the young fellas I think they've they've got them they got them to a final a Pro 14 final Um They've, they've played really well all year. So I, I'd, have, I'd have no fear of, of certainly putting in a couple of them, whatever on the bench, playing a couple of them on, 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 on Saturday because, you know, I think only the team and only, only the, the squad know kind of mentally where the guys are. And, you know, it could be a tough day if, we, if they don't respond very, very quickly. So it's, um, yeah, it's a massive game. Europe, it doesn't get any bigger. And it's just unfortunate the crowd isn't there to lift them, you know, which I've noticed at games, it's just... It's dull. It's really down, yeah. and you know, big monster, big European days in Thomond Park is it's special, you know. Yeah, I think Munster, if anyone missed that, kind of more than any team. But um, I suppose then to talk about your own career, Peter, uh, I was just googling it there. Ninety-eight caps for Ireland. Does that kind of sit on easy with you that you didn't make the hundred? Or... Ah, it doesn't really. You know what people always ask me, and I'm, geez, I'm, I, I look at the positive of it. You know, yeah, you'd love, yeah, obviously, you'd, lo- you'd love, you'd love to have got to hundred. You'd love to. And if I got to 100, I would have wanted 101, 102, and you keep adding to it, you know what I mean? When When is that cut off? And look, 100 is a lovely number, but you think back and you reflect and, and you look at the list of all-time caps for, for Ireland and whatever, I'm sitting at number six or seven, whatever, you you know, you got to be happy with that. And, and I am. I've had some great years in it, and it's uh, it's been a special time. And to get 98, it's um, it's it's uh, it's pretty good, you know. Yeah, I was actually, I would have grown up watching it. We're actually 10 years apart. I'm December and you're December. But um, I remember growing up at the time you had Brian Redpath for Scotland. You had uh, Rob Holy for Wales. You had Fabian Galtier for France. Who was the best scrum half you would have played? Uh, you'd met Austin Fringland. Who was the best scrum half you played against? Yeah, it's interesting. You often kind of think about they all their own different qualities, different sizes. You know, Redpath was a small kind of a nippy guy. He was a good player. 
Um, I always go back to Van der Vesthuizen for South Africa. I played against him a couple of times and um, like not, I suppose, technically the best passer of a ball, but this guy, his running threat, his offload, his sheer physicality, his speed, he was a phenomenon. And, and I know only recently, you know, very sadly when he passed away, you go back and look at clips online of, 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 of players and, and you see what he could do. And I didn't realise really at the time when I was playing against him, you know, kind of how good he was. And you see what a, what a, what a great player he was. It's, um, yeah, so he, for me, is, 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 is kind of one of the guys who stands out, you know. Obviously, everyone else you know, brings different elements, but as, as a guy who you kind of would have admired, certainly him, yeah. Yeah, uh, you're on about there when you first came into the Munster camp. Um, I'd say the likes of Peter Clossy and Mick Galway, they, they loved you coming in because uh, the boys are very much old school, I suppose. You know, the claw used to be fan, fond of having a cigarette and uh, the boys used to like a drink, and, uh, but you're very much not like that, like, you know. So what was it like when you came into Munster and all that? Jeez, I don't know. I don't know if they liked me coming in initially because I was... I, I came I came from UCC and we had a mentality of whenever we played in the AIL against the likes of whatever your Buccaneers or Galwegians or Greystones, you'd you'd have that mentality of run of run these old fellas around the place. So I would be any penalty, quick tap and go. And and I had that mentality going into yeah, the monster yeah. environment. And sometimes you'd you'd nearly get claw holding onto the back of your jersey saying, You come back here, don't you dare, don't you dare quickly take a quick tap. But it's um yeah, very much different. It was a great time actually coming in because I didn't know any different. I came from school 96, went to college for, you know for a while and um came into a semi-professional year. The game was only turning pro and these guys who were part of the full amateur era and you know it was a really a collision of, of two worlds really where we we came from you know that kind of schools environment and the lads came from a tough kind of you know yeah. rugby background in limerick you know and i think that it blend you know the blend was really really good and the mix was good because you know we had a set of backs predominantly you know from from cork and a limerick set of forwards and it just seemed to work um, do, you, do you think Munster are missing that? Like, you know, like you look at the Munster rating now, do you think they should scrap that and just bring it back to AIL? You know, I'd look, I'd love to, I'd love to see. I think I played in, I played in a senior cup final for Shannon. You'd have, you know, 13,000 at Thomas Park for it, you know, big, big games. And, and I think Munster rugby in particular was, was founded on the basis of a really good structure and a good club game. And, and that rivalry that I always talk about it, that Cork Limerick rivalry in particular, I know it's kind of spread now to all, all counties in the province, but you don't want to lose that kind of identity. I know with the way that the high performance center now is in Limerick, everyone's based in Limerick. Whereas in my time we had, you know, you had your Cork base, you had your Limerick base, you had two separate training venues. And it was, it was unique in the world. Um, for a professional setup. So you had your separate training on a Monday, you'd come together on a Tuesday, Cork and Limerick, and, and you go back to your centers then for a Wednesday. So for those Tuesday, Thursday sessions, you'd come together and you'd have that, you'd have that rivalry, that Cork Limerick, which yeah. was always in, in the club game, you know? And I think that was, there was something special about it. And I suppose look financially when things go forward, it's very hard to maintain two teams when you're in the professional era. So obviously the way things have gone and, you know, it has its benefits as well now with everyone in the one place being able to train more regularly. But you always go go back to those days of the AL when you brought that competition and um, where the club game was really, really strong. And for the guys underneath that provincial professional game, 
you know, the guys in the fringes, yes, young guys have got an opportunity this year because of the IRFU's rotation policy and guys getting game time. But you'd love to see more and more of that squad getting more and more regular game time, tough games to really harden them for a professional wonder do, do enough guys get exposed to, to playing top class rugby because when they're needed then they're somewhat not trusted for pro 14 or European games so that's that's kind of the flip side on it you know there's there's many positives and negatives you can look at it but I you know the, the IL was great it was it was a fantastic time and I think the foundations from Munster was built on it yeah uh, and then I suppose talk about your time in Ireland what was the big turning point because Everyone hears about the famous meeting you had, was it in Liverpool, the time with Declan Kidney before you won the Grand Slam, wasn't it? Like, when was the time that it shifted with Ireland and you, you pushed on and achieved all what you achieved? Um, so from a Munster point of view, for, from an Irish point of well, view? Well, Irish point of view, Ireland. Peter. Yeah. So, from an Irish point of view, yeah, it was... You know, we'd been we'd been close enough to, to championships over the years. Obviously, my first game in 2000 and coming off the back of a... A probably disappointing kind of you know nineties um, in for, from an Irish point of view and and you know came in in two thousand with five of us made our debuts in two thousand Warren Gatlin gave us an opportunity and you know just kind of tried to breathe a bit of life into it and and things kind of started to turn then we you know we finished second on a few occasions in the championship um, with a few three triple crowns um, and it just there was a real sense that. You know when you when when Munster and the provinces were doing well in Europe and and we were getting used to professional sport, there was a real confidence. And when you bring that from your province into the the national setup, it has a real kick on effect. You know, I think um, we in particular um, we found a, a good blend w- with our forwards. We could have had five or six, you know, Munster forwards playing for in that Irish in that Irish team in those early you know two thousands, which. You know, from my point of view and playing with Raj as well, and you've got familiar guys around you, um, you're not kind of going in and playing with guys you wouldn't have, have been comfortable with. So, yeah, look, it was, a, it was a good time with some disappointments. You know, we lost kind of Grand Slam deciders to England. I remember Lansdowne Road, we were hammered by England. Um, kind of in their, in their golden era around their time of winning the World Cup. Um, but that kind of time around you get to 2009, you know, I'd been just kind of since 2007, the World Cup, when I was in and out of the team, you know, you get an opportunity to play in 2009 and, and you really feel that, you know, you, you may not have many more opportunities in a green jersey. And, you know, thankfully I had a, had a couple of more caps after that, a couple more years in, in, in playing for Ireland. But when you're left out of a setup and, and a system and, and you realize sometimes you're watching on TV, you, you realize how much you miss it and how much you should cherish it. So when you come 2009 and, you know, having those conversations with guys, guys that we would have, you know, played with a lot, a lot on the way up and we would have had a kind of a consistent squad. So to, to go to Cardiff and, and pull off that win just about in the end, it nearly didn't happen. But, um, you know, one is a, a grand slam has happened since, but to, in 2009 for the first time and, I think it was nearly 45 years, was was pretty special. Um, something I'll, I'll never, ever forget, yeah. Yeah, like, I won't ask you who was the best out half, because I was a big fan of David Humphreys, even though I'm a Corkman. And uh, obviously, Yodo Gare and Johnny Sexton you played with. But, and, but uh, who was the best player you played with and played against, Peter? Um, best player I played with, I suppose, from an all-out skill point of view, it's got to be O'Driscoll. Um, you know, I suppose everyone would say that. It's um, 
you know, there's many other guys in terms of, you know, leadership qualities, um, different skill set. But as an all-rounder, a guy who certainly helped elevate Ireland and, and bring us to that next level in, 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 in a time where we wouldn't necessarily have had the best game plans or the best game as a squad. But at times when, for you know, you, you look at Brian and what he could do, just off the cuff from from his own ability, you know, from from a ball being kicked in behind us, Draco being able to pick it up and create something for us to get us on that front foot. You know, every team needs those kind of star players. And, you know, in, in an era where it was predominantly a forward-based game for us, um, to have someone like him and to be able to get the ball to him as quickly as we could. And that was kind of my role, really, in terms of in, in, in the Irish squad, that we had a good platform from the forwards, get it into into Roger's hands and he was to get it into Draco's hands as quickly as possible. And the more time he had on the ball, you know, and the more space he was able to create a few more things. So yeah, it was, it was pretty, um, it was, it was a pretty special guy to, to train and play alongside, you know, and play against who was the best you played against, would you say? Um, I'd say oh, there's, there's been a few, I'd say Dan Carter has got to be up there. Um, a guy I've watched a lot played against a bit. Um, and he's a guy who just, he seems to have so much time on the ball and a very, very, you know, good skill set, obviously kicking off left foot, right foot, um, passer, he's quick, a good runner, identifies space. He's a good defender. He can take the ball into contact, offload. And a guy just said, he, when he got his hands on the ball, he was looking left, looking right to see whatever his options were. And you never knew what he was going to do. And that was the thing with a lot of players, with all the analysis that there is in the game these days, whether you watch them online or you watch them on TV live, you know, you study your opposition players and you you kind of know some guys carry the ball in the right hand and you, they fend with their left. So you know which way to go. You know what foot they predominantly step off if they're running towards you. Um, but with Dan Carter, it was a case that he could have, he could have kicked, he could have chipped over the line. He could have, accelerated to the line and offload or pass before contact. And just those are the guys that, you know, you, you think of as being really special because you realize in a pressure game, you realize that there is very little time and very little space at that top level. So when someone like him just looks so comfortable and he can do anything, you, you kind of appreciate it as a player, how good he was. Yeah. And I suppose I did ask you how you how you rose to the top with Ireland and you turned that corner. With Munster then, like being a Munster man my fa- myself, and uh, there were so many times you got so close, but you fell. I remember the, the London Wasps game at Lansdowne Road. I was at that. And there was other famous matches. And, uh, and of course, the one John O'Neill, the time he scored that try, there wasn't a try in the corner against Stade France. Was there ever a time that you thought, geez, lads, this isn't going to happen? Like, you know? Yeah, you do. You you question it, and it's um, you know, you go through those in the the loss in Cardiff against Leicester, Twickenham against Northampton, big big games, you know, semi-finals, finals, and when it's the last game, like when you've got a two an Irish tour, predominantly comes after your end of season um, game with Munster, or whatever final, semi-final, you can focus on something else. But when you lose a final and there's no kind of Irish tour, it becomes it becomes a very draining thing where it's it's your last game. You always want the next game to come around on the back of a defeat yeah. to focus your mind, you know, to really concentrate on something. So it's a long summer for guys when, you know, it's your last game in red jersey before the next preseason. And and 
it can be it can be demoralizing. You know, you get back in then for your preseason, you got some new faces around the place and the energy's there again. You do your your goal setting session, you sit down and and it's tough because you think you've everything covered the previous year. And and we got to the stage where we were looking for, you know, you know, probably in day one, you were looking for a 10% increase, you know, and see where we get to. By the, by 2006, you know, that before the, just the start of that season, you're probably at a stage where you're looking for that one, two percent difference that's gonna that's gonna change things because what can we what can we do differently that we've you know, just that that will change a game, change a semi-final, or you know, we've narrowly lost finals. What can you do differently? And it comes down to just just attitude of guys, how you prepare everything, everyone's job needs to be accounted for. So whether it's your a coach, a player, a kit man, everything, everyone needs to play their part. So everyone's role is everything to the squad. And you know, when you realize that and, and you realize that what you eat on a daily basis, you know, what time you go to sleep. And it came down to those little things of us being ready for a training session before you might have rocked up to a training session on a Monday morning. You might have, you know, fellas grabbing a bit of breakfast on the way, taking you 10 or 15 minutes to get into a training session, not doing a quality gym session, something like that, where every little thing you try and tighten up on and you leave no room for error. And at the end of the day, if that's not good enough, then so be it. But if you if you cover all your bases, um, then you know that you're going to be somewhere there thereabouts in, in in progressing from where you were the previous year. So a lot of it was look the attitude of players. We were lucky. We had a great group of players, motivated guys who who wanted to train, who were very very diligent in what they did. Uh, preseason training is is one area where you can really separate guys who who care and who don't care and who want to give something for the cause and, and those who don't. So it's, um, you know, we were, we were fortunate that we, I'm not saying everybody was like that because it's impossible in a group of 40 lads that you're not going to have everyone who's a committed trainer and dedicated trainer and giving and puts their body on the line. Are of guys who are willing to do that and pull us through? Yeah, it's um, it's it's that's a very good point to make there, Peter, about the fine details. It'll, it's the inches that'll make the mile. But um, I suppose just uh, to lead on to that question is that it's famous that I think you're, you never touched a drink in your life, and I think Donald Callan was the same. And you always looked after yourselves, like you know, like <laughs> I suppose I played a bit of rugby, but you would have been the guys I hated that, like you loved the gym, <laughs> you, you loved doing the gym, whereas the likes of me had to be pushed to do it, you know. But like. In terms of looking after yourself, like look at looking at yourself in your own career, you went on to play for Bath and Worcester, and I think you're 42 now or 43. Like you could have went down, you could have kept playing with the way you looked after yourself and and the the efficiency and the job that you did because you'd such a good fast pass from the base of the rock. Like, but would you say looking after yourself for upcoming athletes would be is very important? Percent. Do you know what it's um. Yeah, look, I've, I've, I've always kind of looked after myself and, and even more so when I got to a stage with Munster when I found myself, I found myself fourth choice scrum half in Munster back kind of after that kind of 2007, 2011 World Cup that I, that I wasn't selected in. I, I came back to Munster and that 11, 12 kind of era. Um, I found myself kind of really on the fringes doing all the training but not getting any games and, and that's kind of, that's tough and I suppose like I was in a position where 
you know, I could, I could have, I could have drifted along and, and not done extra training and I would have regretted. I'm someone I will live with regrets. And I just wanted to be ready for any occasion, any opportunity that came up. And, you know, thankfully an, a loan spell to Saracens came up and that really kickstarted things. I was, um, you know, I was sitting, I was four choice at Munster one week. Then next I was sitting, I was playing for Saris, you know, in a Highland Cup game in, in Wembley. And then the following, you know, a couple of weeks playing for the Barbarians against Australia and Twickenham. And you never know what opportunity is going to be there in front of you. And for me, if I wasn't ready, I wasn't fit, you know, doing my extra fitness work, extra gym sessions. If I wasn't ready for that opportunity, I know I would have regretted it. So, look, my skill set, like you said, I knew I knew what I was good at. I knew I knew I was fit. I knew I had a good pass, and I've always worked on it. And I made sure that I was the best at it. So, for me, my game was based on having a, a, an accurate, fast pass, being fit to get around the field to get to every single breakdown before anybody else could get, could get there. And that was my game. And you know. What I needed to do for my game, it wasn't a thing where, like a winger, so you got your winger at max out pace, whereas that tapers off over the years. My my game stayed the same. That's my point, Peter, is that uh, when did you know, like we saw CJ Stender, he knew that his time was up. You wouldn't have been tempted, tempted to keep going because, like, as you said, a winger has to have certain pace. A prop is holding up a scrum, you know, like whereas you had a very yeah. set game and it was well done, you know. Yeah, no, I, I, and I, you know, what, I feel I still feel really good. And, and when I finished playing, look, I finished on my terms because I finished. I was in good shape. I physically I felt really good, and I could have kept going. I was in the UK, and do you know what? I finished when I was 40, 43 now, and there there are very few clubs offering more than one year contracts to a 40 year old and yeah. look we were my first son was born he was born over in Manchester when I was with Sale Sharks um, and look it got to a point where look my wife like unbelievable in terms of you know she said you go do whatever you need to do in terms of playing and you know got to the point where you know six months here a year contract here with it with a new, a new son having to move around it just got to the point where do you know what now is the right time yeah. to finish. And, and I found myself getting getting in, involved in, in environments where I wasn't playing alongside guys who were as motivated probably as I would have experienced in my time with Munster, with Ireland. And that kind of has an effect on you as well, where I tried to still bring the same attitude. Yes, you're going to have certain guys who are, who are fighting for the cause. But when you see a lot of guys in an environment who kind of slackening off a bit. It kind of graded on me as I got older, seeing young guys who were given a really good opportunity to have a professional contract and to see certain guys not take full advantage of that. So in combination with a lot of things, I said, you know what? I'm fit. I can walk away here feeling fitter, stronger than I did before going into professional sport. I've had an unbelievable time playing um, and moving things on to what I do now, just in terms of a fitness gym work, running, I can still do it and I can still get that sense of achievement, of getting fitter, getting stronger. And it's not like where I find a lot of guys who finish, a lot of my buddies, a couple of guys have two hip replacements at the age of 40. Their knees, their shoulders, ankles, they're gone and they can't do anything. So, you know, I'm fortunate in, in the way 
that I can continue an active life. And look, would love to have carried on, you know, if circumstances were different. And if you were handed a three or four year deal in the yeah. south of France, <laughs> sign me up. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah, just, yeah. Um, it's, um, th- things are different. And when you've got a young family as well. And yeah. um, so... Um, I suppose just the other question I'd ask you is I was looking you up on YouTube and you got a few highlights. Um, I suppose the one about James O'Connor, the the tap tackle and Lumo, the Dan Luger tap tackle that was a f- one of my favorite games to watch against England that time in 01. And uh, the other one was the Swords Betch and Beeritz. I suppose which was uh, it's hard to ask which was your favorite <laughs> cheeky moment in the game. You know? <laughs> oh, it's hard because they're all different, they were big moments, they were. I suppose you go back to that zero one when you're talking about, and it was a case that was a foot and mouth game that was called off and was yeah. played in October. Um, England were going for a grand slam, um, and to deny them scoring that try was unbelievable at the time. Just new in the system, but oh, look, I suppose the big moment is is the monster one. You know when you score that try, and yeah, yeah, you know the 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 disappointment that's went on for you know the eight years previous to. To, to winning that game and the emotion that was built up every single season keep coming back like we spoke about um, you know to score that try and, and to go on and, and win the game um, that was that was a day look and it's probably the day that people remember the most and and for obvious reasons in terms of the the highlight of of Munster's history really you know yeah. in terms of winning winning silverware well what's more iconic about it now and just ask quickly and it's so sad is that Anthony Foley, one of the biggest legends in Munster rugby. Like I'll never forget the day was at Gloucester and he got man the match against uh, the time the Miracle match. You know he was out. He had so many big games for Munster, but like, would you think about him uh, every day now since? Like it was so sad that you know, and it was such iconic now that he he was the first man to lift the Heineken Cup for Munster. Yeah, look, it's it's unbelievably sad, and it's still it's hard to to think. Look, we'd have a few photos up here around here at home. You'd see the. The team lifting the trophy and, and you see him there and, and even you know the the preview to the game the other day when we were doing it and there's a montage video footage of of, of Axel and um and just just knowing the guy of you know what he's like as a character and, and what he brought to the environment and how professional he was and um just and a you, real leader. You would have been very close to him Peter because eight and nine he, as well like you know yeah absolutely and look uh, you know, from day one, when I first came in in, in 98 into Munster and, and then when I went to Shannon, became very close with him and then with Ireland. So we would have been, he would have been my number eight for, you know, for the best part of 10 years. And um, yeah, look, it's unbelievably sad. And, and just, you know, you feel so bad in terms of where he was at his, in his coaching career. I knew, I knew, you know, I know how much Munster meant to him in terms of obviously playing and, and his aspirations was always to go on to be a top class coach. And I know, you know, he was he was on the way to, to becoming one because of his 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 brain power, his capacity to understand the forwards and the backs. So look, um, a few more years in that job, and you know, who knows what what silverware monster might have had. Yeah, and I suppose finally, Peter, um, 
your what do you do now? Is it? I know you do the punditry with your sport and uh, the personal training. I see yourself and Sam Warburton. I follow him too, and you're putting us all to shame, you know. But, uh, <laughs> but, you, but is, Just, is, that what, that. is that what you do now, full time? Is it kind of personal training? So? Yeah, and like it's been weird now the last kind of year, I suppose, with everyone being you know at home. If with a one year old and a four year old, so that's keeping me busy as well. But certainly, yeah. it's a. Uh, I always wanted, to, you know, this is a part of, of who I am in terms of my fitness, my 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 attitude to training. That's what's got me to where I am in my rugby career. And, yeah. and you know, be foolish to, to leave that behind. You know, you set yourself new goals now, becoming fitter and, and stronger as the years go on. So, yeah, for me, it's, it's about training, guys. Um, I suppose you get guys coming to you where in busy jobs and who are trying to manage your, their lives in terms of how they train, how they eat, you know, how they schedule things into a busy lifestyle. And I think people just at times just need that little bit of guidance because, you know, with, with, with the way work has gone, you know, guys are at home now with families and I know you can't really see people one-on-one. So a lot of it is kind of online stuff. You're kind of talking to guys and guiding them through things, giving them plans, giving them programs, and just to try and give them that little bit of accountability because sometimes like you said earlier at the start, some some people find it easy to go up intrinsically, get up and, and train and eat the right things. And other people need that little bit of guidance. So um, everyone's different. It's about understanding, you know, the different yeah. mentalities that people have and to try and steer them in the right way. So it's uh, it's really interesting. And it's it's not necessarily it's athletes I'm, I'm always working with. It's it's people who 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 wouldn't have trained before so it's um it's trying to just change that kind of attitude in people to to be able to go and do it themselves yeah well i, I see your short few t-shirts so if you need a bench, <laughs> if you need a bench warmer's t-shirt i'll give it to you for your videos i'd love one i'd love one yeah a lot of people are saying the same like i've lost my t-shirt yeah. yeah um just to finish peter i do this with all my guests uh we're just going to play 60 seconds where i fire questions at you and see what comes to your mind first so uh okay okay <laughs> Favorite thing to do on your day off? Um, go to the gym. <laughs> Favorite film? Uh, Shawshank Redemption. Go to karaoke song. Oh, um, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers under the bridge. Wesley for boys on. Oh, that's a close one. That's a close one. Ah, let's go Westlife. Uh, tea or coffee? had to pick one I'd go tea uh, favourite golf course uh, the green monkey in, in Barbados go to breakfast food um, it's gotta be eggs and smoked salmon biggest fear um, biggest fear would be oh, not being fit uh, what's, what's your weakness <laughs> what's your weakness Oh, chocolate. Right. Uh, proudest moment? Proudest moment. Um, uh, rugby terms, Heineken Cup 2006. I don't want to get you in trouble there, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, craziest thing you ever done? Um, oh, probably a bungee jump. And leg day or chest day? Oh, beforehand, chest day, afterwards leg day all right we'll accept we'll accept that I suppose. <laughs> all right peter thanks a million for that good man thanks a million thanks for listening and thanks again to former monster and irish from half peter stringer 
This show is thanks to McCarthy's Interiors. They're based in Ballyconic Shopping Centre and Douglas Court. Make sure to check them out on Facebook and Instagram for more great offers. Remember, you can get this show on Spotify. This show, and wherever else you get your podcast, this show is out every Wednesday. Well, roughly every Wednesday. Make sure to tune in again next week where I'll be talking to someone else from the world of sport. And I'm your host, Neville O'Donoghue, and I'm out of here. Thanks for listening.